The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout, heresy, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive. So there isn't much you can do about it, Chotterhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. Welcome to the live Philosophy of Penendez classroom and chat room here on the Crusade Channel on the Veritas Radio Network. Crusade Channel, of course, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers here on a Wednesday, November 15. The Ides of November are upon us. Actually, it's a hump day on hump in hump month. It's a 30-day month, 15th day, right in the middle. Today's Wednesday. Hump day. And uh, we will be with you tonight studying and discussing Brother Francis Malouf's lecture number 28 on the subject of Dahomey from St. Thomas Aquinas. And of course, Dahomey means about man. So we are 27 uh, lectures in and invite you to join us in our chat room. You can ask any question that you'd like of Brother Andre Marie of the St. Benedict Center. We'll be happy to answer. Chat room is located at MikeChurch.com. Now, in order to find it, go to MikeChurch.com, and under the menus, you'll see Catholicism, under Catholicism, Philosophia Perennis, and under Philosophia Perennis, then uh, you uh, scroll down to the Philosophia Perennis Dahomene uh, homepage, and on that page, you'll see the chat room. Okay. Let's go live now to the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Well, Brother Andre Marie is uh, standing by to begin our discussion on the Homine Lecture number 28. Brother Andre, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing, Mike? I am uh, well and starting to get a little motivated and in, in, into the spirit, as they say, uh, ready to talk some Dahomey tonight. As I've 
had the occasion to use it so much the last three days. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a return on my investment and uh, ready to up the ante, as they say. Great. Yeah, I heard you yesterday say something about it. Brother Andre Marie's listening, and then you went on with your point. I'm thinking, I'm here. <laughs> well, I usually say that because if you hear it, then you'll uh, uh, you'll call Christopher or Skype in and bail me out if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, what, what, what you said was good. I just can't remember what it was. <laughs> it must have been really impactful. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll never be able to top. This maniacal woman who's written this thing about uh, Jesus being the rape baby. So. Oh yeah, well the, the woman's sick. Yeah, that's just that's not even that's there's not even an attempt at reason uh, to make a claim like that. No, well I know what it was yesterday. I was talking about uh, that uh, Notre Dame should give the name back if they're not going to be an actual Catholic university, then they should stop slandering Our Lady and stop using the name. Get your own. Get your own darn name. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it was. It had something to do with Notre Dame, I think. Anyways, uh, Dahomey number twenty-eight tonight. Another brief one. Yes, another brief one, and I'm um, I'm going to post the um, I'm going to post the links to the stuff in the uh, in the chat room. So I thought that what we would do tonight, uh, in order to wait a minute, I'm not even in the chat room. Oops. Um, <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was sort of cramming and I forgot to get, I forgot to get into the chat room. What, what I'm going to do after I actually get into the chat room and then post this in the chat room is, um, I think what we'll do is go through some of brother Francis to go, go through some of the notes that were taken on the thing. So we're getting some of brother Francis's thoughts and then sort of like we did last time, go into the, um, uh, actually read through the article itself in the Summa. So I have posted here the handout, the, the notes, the quiz, and also the link to the newadvent.org site, which actually has the, the article uh, of the Summa there. So everybody that's in the chat room, y'all can get all those things. So... Um, all right, Brother Francis says about he, the question that's being asked is whether violence causes in, involuntariness. So he's talked about uh, he's talked about what's voluntary, what's involuntary, and what the impact uh, of, on of violence is on our freedom. Mm -hmm. So you'll remember that last week what we talked about was whether violence can be done to the will. Is it even possible right. for violence to be done to the will? And um, the answer, of course, is that um, the act... So he, so he, he, he says, uh, no, that it cannot be done to the will. The, the will itself cannot have, be compelled to do something uh, by, by way of violence. Okay. However... Uh, then you can, but but we know that people can be forced to do things involuntarily. We know that people can be forced to do things somehow against their will, mm -hmm. and that in itself is said to be involuntary. So that's that's I, I kind of just gave away the <laughs> I get kind of get kind of cut to the chase just now when I said that. But the the real fun is to sort of go through St. Thomas's argumentation. So Brother Francis says the article talks about violence. Violence is an important philosophical matter. 
the most valuable concept in all philosophy is the concept of nature. Now, Brother goes on to say how we used nature very often. We talked about nature um, quite a bit when we were talking in the in the um, through the whole philosophy course from cosmology all the way to ontology where we're we're discussing the natures of things mm-hmm. and then and the nature just a reminder is the essence of the thing conceived as what can be done to it and what it can do so in other words the actions and the passions of the thing the, the essence of the thing considered in terms of its actions and passions okay that what what can be what it can do and what can be done to it that's the nature of the thing so you say something is contrary to nature, meaning it, it goes against the essence of that thing according to what it, 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 it's meant to do and not do. Violence can be exerted on something, but when you do something, when you, when you exert violence on something, it's contrary to its nature. So this is, the, I mean, hope, hopefully that old phrase, contrary to nature, will elicit certain ideas in people's minds that are, that are not, yeah, it's not part of the politically correct lexicon now. No, and I'm also uh, thinking that uh, back in the day before uh, Griswold versus Connecticut and, and the other atrocities, there was actually a legal precedent. It was called crime against nature. Yeah, yeah. So actions contrary to nature were... Th- this is part of secular American parlance. Sure. It, it was understood... I mean, I can remember. I can remember when I was in high school. I can remember there was a there was a case of a of a teacher being arrested for quote crimes against nature. Right. And I had I had to have it explained to me what that meant. Um, but you know that that is that is an accurate philosophical use of the thing. In other words, something that's against nature is 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 violence, and we know that. In 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 those particular kinds of crimes that are under discussion, or that that those generally refer to, we know that there is a violence done to the the nature of the thing, and this is why, of course, people get all sorts of horrible diseases and so forth uh, from that kind of activity, and why people who live that quote unquote lifestyle live on average uh, a life uh, that something like twenty years shorter. Than uh, normal people's lives makes sense, and I realize what I just said is extremely offensive according to the modern, you know, language. But I don't care. I mean, it's 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 a matter of truth. It's not a matter of, um, you know, being cautious to offend a, a certain privileged, uh, uh, perverse minority. Anyway, um, so but but this is a, this is an acceptable use of the word violence, and these are this is an acceptable way to use the word nature. Uh, so, brother says the most valuable concept in all philosophy is nature. Um, violence is something against nature. That's what it is. Some people have a superficial view of it, thinking in terms of dynamite and muscles and sticks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it doesn't have to be, you know, something you see in an in an action movie. It doesn't have to be a car crash. It doesn't have to be, you know, somebody dropped from a precipitous height. Um, some of the most quiet people can be very violent. Dante puts blasphemers in the circle of the violent in hell. People can blaspheme very politely and quietly, and it's still very violent. Um, Brother Francis says, what can be more violent than perverting the tongue that God gave us to praise him and to use it to blaspheme him? 
And as as usual, he picks on the professors at Harvard. <laughs> as examples. <laughs> uh, the the and and Dante. So he's talking about Dante here. He says that Dante also puts uh, usurers in the realm of the violent, which is very interesting because that means it's something contrary to nature. It's something. It's it's exerting violence uh, against other people to charge usury. So they try to exploit people through the manipulation of of, of money and finance. There's a there's a um, and then he goes on to let's see the, the the Divine Comedy. Brother Francis loved the Divine Comedy, by the way, absolutely loved it. Um, okay, and by the way, Dante was Dante was very much uh, affected by Saint Thomas Aquinas. So um, I mean, he had studied the Summa. So this is not this is not on what we're studying right now is was definitely known to Dante, and it it very much informs his worldview. Um. All right. So now later on, brother says that violence is directly opposed to the voluntary, just as it is directly opposed to the natural. This is an argument that St. Thomas is going to use in tonight's article. So let's repeat it. Violence is directly opposed to the voluntary, as likewise to the natural. So just as we can say that violence done to a rock or to some other inanimate object is something that's contrary to its nature and therefore destructive to the thing. Um, violence exerted against the tree will harm its nature and so forth. So too, violence that is uh, it, it, when when you when you when you impose violence upon a rational being, you get something which is contrary to the will. Okay, so this is very important. That the notion of violence being something contrary to, to, to the nature of the thing, as soon as you're talking about a uh, irrational being, violence is contrary to its will. So therefore, violence is necessarily something opposed to the will. Brother Francis says this, this sentence is of tremendous importance. It is a principle of wisdom. So let's repeat it again. Violence is directly opposed to the voluntary, just as it is opposed to the natural. What is common to the natural and to the voluntary? They both proceed from the inner principle, an intrinsic principle. Violence comes from the outside. Okay, so there's an in, there's an inner principle in me that seeks that that wills my own good something which from the outside wills something contrary to that and imposes itself upon me is exerting violence against my will and if i'm forced to do it like if i'm bodily pushed or forced or pulled or something like that uh, then that is then whatever I do as a result is involuntary. Of course, there are other ways of, of uh, exerting violence other than from the outside by way of uh, using, you know, brute kinetic force. You could also drug somebody, right? So there's a famous story, the famous story of Cardinal Mincenti, um, when, when, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was Mincenti. When Mincenti was being persecuted by the communists in Hungary he <clears throat> he had made his statement he had made his stated his position against the communists and he, at one point he had gotten wind of the fact that the communists had all these newfangled drugs that they were using against people to sort of wear them down and he didn't know any the particulars about these drugs but he just understood 
that the drugs somehow um, uh, d- did violence to, to the to the person in such a way that they were they were virtually you know lobotomized and their resistance was completely worn down. And so Cardinal Manzenti came out and made a statement that this is my statement. This is what I'm saying. If I ever, if you ever hear me say something contrary, just know that it's the drug stalking because they're drugging people and they may do it to me. And in doing this, he sort of completely undermined ahead of time whatever the communists would have wanted to do to him because he had already instructed his people uh, that this was a possibility. But the interesting principle here is that he understood that you know that that drug some some psychotropic drug some mind altering drug could um exert violence on him and whatever he did as a result was involuntary you you might say but isn't that an inner principle i mean the drugs inside of you no it's something from outside it's it's been put in you i mean you it's injected into you or you know stuck in your food unbeknownst to you or whatever but it, that's still something from outside of you. It's a foreign agent act, uh, uh, acting on you. And what you're doing, if you're, if you're doing something which is contrary to your, for your, the thing that you have formerly willed when you were of your right mind, then this is making you do something involuntary and it is therefore violent. Okay? Um, when the seed is put in the soil, it begins to grow. The process is natural. It is intrinsic. So, in other words, what's intrinsic to the seed, the principle of life, there's a little, you know, vegetable soul there. There's a vegetative soul in that seed, and the process of of growth, assimilation, and, and reproduction that happens that all vegetative life is capable of. All of that is according to its intrinsic natural processes. Right. That's that's the normal operation of the thing. If someone steps on it, that's violence. If someone cuts it down, that's violence. It's something that comes from outside. It's something that's contrary to the nature of the thing. Um, so this is natural versus voluntary. The, the will is also a natural principle, and it is also intrinsic. So actually, when he took the notes, he put natural versus voluntary. That's That's really not, it's not natural versus voluntary. It's the comparison of the two. So natural is compared to voluntary. The will is also a natural principle, and it is also intrinsic. Huh? So just as that seed is an intrinsic principle making the thing grow, so too the, um, the, the will is something intrinsic to the, to the being uh, and operating according to its own natural principles. But this will can only be in beings that know. Obviously, you have to have cognition before you can can have volition. You have to have knowing before you can have willing. Mike, are you hearing me? And I can I'm hearing you loud and clear. Okay, great, great. Um, uh, so knowledge is the difference. When when knowledge comes into the thing, the act becomes voluntary. Violence is opposed to that. So uh, when we try to see what's um, let's see, uh, Brother Francis says. Well, uh, we first study the nature and then see what violence has been inflicted upon it. So we have to understand the natures of things first before we can identify that some violence has been exerted upon it so that it acts contrary to nature. This is true in every area, Brother says, in health, economics, politics, education. There's always a natural plan intended by God. Our duty is to preserve and defend that. So even though we talk about the supernatural order quite Mm -hmm. a bit, the order of grace, that is, 
we have to we have to make it really clear that grace isn't something that exerts violence against nature. Just as there is a an, uh, uh, there is a, a, a cooperation and there is a is a, a, a non-violent relationship between faith and reason, so too there is a, um, a, a cooperation and a working together um, between grace and nature. Grace does not do violence to nature. It doesn't oppose nature. This is something that a lot of people are messed up on. Um, Luther and company exaggerated what happened to man in the fall. They exaggerated the, the effects of original sin. So much so... First of all, they exaggerated man's natural capacities. They didn't think that man initially needed grace in order to be holy, that it was something somehow natural to man. So in this, they're very much like their opposite heretics, that is the Pelagians. What, what Luther and company did, and also the Jansenist heretics did, was they exaggerated what happened to man in the fall, and they said that man was, and this is the phrase that's sort of the consecrated use in Calvinism, totally depraved. <laughs> that man is totally depraved. You said the, uh, the opposite heretics. Yeah, so, Jans so, so Pelagians... Deny the deny the necessity of grace, and they deny the reality of original sin. Okay, and they exaggerate the natural capacities of man. But the the weird thing is, although Pelagianism and Jansenism, and also with Jansenism, Calvinism and Lutheranism, although they uh, affirm the need of grace. And although they affirm the reality of original sin, they basically believe the errors that the Pelagians believed, only they also believe in original sin. So in other words, they ex just like the Pelagians, they exaggerated what, what man was before the fall. Okay. The Pelagians don't believe in the fall. <laughs> now you add the reality of believing in the fall, and the Lutherans and company, Calvinists, Jansenists, they exaggerate what happened after the fall. So that man becomes totally depraved. Uh, although, you know, so the Pelagians don't believe we're totally depraved, but they still have this exaggerated notion of what man is like, of what man has the natural capacity to do. So, so brother, let me, uh, let me uh, ask, ask a question then. Uh, on one of our Modern Wrong World made rights, you and I discussed uh, the philosophers that were at the beginning of the Enlightenment that unleashed these monsters that we are still dealing with today, and one of them was Thomas Hobbes. And yeah. this sounds very Hobbesian, because did, Hobbes basically said that if man, uh, that, that, that uh, man is going to have to be, because he's, he's incapable of controlling his own passions, and he, uh, therefore he would have to, uh, he needs to be, or is going to have to be basically uh, tyrannized or run by a very strong government force, and if that doesn't happen, well, then man will ultimately wind up ending the species and killing. All men will kill all men. You'll have anarchy, basically. Yeah. So this the war sounds of very all against all. Yeah, the war of all against all. This sounds kind of Hobbesian, too. Yeah, well, of course, they come, a lot of the, you know, the, the Enlightenment is messed up because, for, for several reasons, but two opposite trends are clashing into each other in the Enlightenment. One is a denial of all of the 
supernaturally revealed religion. And of course, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And but another problem is that a lot of these guys are approaching their whole worldview as informed by a kind of a Calvinist outlook. So many of them, although they've been completely secularized, have an entirely bleak outlook on 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 nature <laughs> and on humanity. Yeah, a secularized Calvinist is a very unpleasant being. Um, almost as unpleasant as a non-secularized Calvinist. I was going to say, is there, a, is there a difference between a secularized Calvinist and a non-secularized Calvinist? I mean, I mean, so so a non-secularized a secularized Calvinist uh, uh, is some is somebody like um, oh, who's the horror fiction writer? Anne uh, Rice, um, Stephen King, huh? Stephen King, H.P. Lovecraft, H.P. Oh. Lovecraft. So H.P. Lovecraft's world is weird and disturbing. Now, Lovecraft is an atheist, but he has this sort of New England Calvinist background that looks very suspiciously at nature. And therefore, um, if there's not a benevolent God at all, things are creepy. Right. And, um, and his, so his reality is extremely creepy. Um, if you've ever read any of H.P. Lovecraft. I haven't. What did, he, what, did, what did he write? Is yeah. there a title that's... That's famous that we would know. Um, um, uh, the rats in the walls. The 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 horror at. Um, oh, the, the names aren't coming to me. Um, There's the something horror. He, he made up all these fictitious New England towns. Um, one of which is not too distant from from where it's based upon a real place. that's not too distant from where I am, just south of here, in Massachusetts. Um, and he, he has people being the, the you know, Dunwich in horror, with sea creatures, the and Dun things like that. The, the Dunwich horror, the, the Dunwich horror. That's it. That's that. That's probably one of his best known ones. Yeah. The uh, um, the shadow over in smoosh. Innsmouth, yeah. Innsmouth, uh, they're, they're, yeah. They're the call. And these are both, Dunwich and Innsmouth, they're both fictitious New England towns. But but that's an example of sort of a secularized Calvinist. But other examples of secularized Calvinists are the people that, you know, uh, it, it, it were very powerful, a lot of these Freemasons and stuff, in running the United States of America. And, and, and w when you're not a Calvinist who seeks to establish the kingdom of Christ on earth by, you know, killing off Indians and stuff, then you're a Calvinist <laughs> who seeks to dominate the world and inflict our, our notions of liberty and stuff like that on the rest of the world. So that's the kind of thing that secularized Calvinists do. They're still trying to build the they're still trying to build the um, the 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 shining city, you know, on the hill, but but it's not for Christian purposes anymore. It's for secular purposes now. By the way, <laughs> if you want to read the uh, the best uh, the best work ever done on the shining city on the hill. Read Richard Gamble's The Great American, uh, what is it called? The Great American Myth. I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Gamble wrote an entire, the myth, the myth of the shiny city on the hill. Gamble wrote an entire book on it. Uh, he's, okay. He's a professor of history at Hillsdale. He's buddies with Brad Berzer. He's, he's on our side. Uh, okay. Gamble wrote an entire history of how most of what they say happened, the shiny city and all that stuff, never happened. Uh, it certainly never happened in the order that they say it happened. And the historical record for how it started as this, and in kind of, uh, it's ironic, it transfigured 
<laughs> or or uh, transubstantiated itself, if you will, from what it was uh, in Puritan New England to what it became and what it is still in urban legend today to people that say the Pledge of Allegiance and do all those things that America lovers do. Yeah. Yeah, well, ar- arguably, we, we the, the, the Puritanism, which was once a, a sort of cr- Christian Christianity, heretical Christianity, that, that sought to, in Old Testament fashion, kill off all the Moabites and Ammonites and Jebusites and other bad people, a.k.a., you know, the Indians, and, and dominate the country that was the new promised land, that got, when that got secularized, it just became a different cause. Instead of Christianity, it was, you know, freedom and, and other, other causes like that, so that, that we, we're, we're seeking to dominate instead of just uh, sheet of, from sea to shining sea, we're dominating the world. So, yeah, it, it's, no, brother. It's, a, it's a messed up worldview that leads to this. We're, but but we're, where, we, where we're going with this is that Hobbes and company had sort of a broken down kind of Calvinism, broken down sort of Protestant worldview that gave them a very pessimistic outlook on human nature. And this is why the, the, they're, in Hobbes' view, you've got the social contract, which says that basically, you know, if, 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 if ungoverned by a strong state— uh, that asserts itself and 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 puts men into this contract where they basically forfeit their rights and force themselves into this contract with other people, then they're just going to run amok and be awful. Um, so I mean, it's 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 not completely off kilter when you say when you realize yes, there is such a thing as original sin. Yes, men do need to be governed by law, but he's not just talking about being governed by law. He's talking about a certain kind of violence, to use St. Thomas's language, being exerted from outside in order to force people to be good. Wow. Um, so, but where, how we got to this little tangent um, is we were talking about the, 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 the fact that grace and nature are not opposed to one another. And this is one of the great um, mistakes in the outlook on grace and nature. Grace elevates nature. Grace raises the natural capacities of, of, of man, but it does not do violence to nature. Now, you know, you will hear people say, well, you have to exert violence against your own nature. That has a different meaning. So in like ascetical literature, when they say, you know, you have to fast, you have to deny your, your lower passions and things like that, it's really saying you have to get your fallen nature um, working right, <laughs> You have to, you have to do things in order to discipline your fallen nature so that it truly acts according to the best of its natural capacities. That's what that means. So when they say it's contrary to nature, you know, to do this, to, to do that, meaning I have to exert some violence against myself by asceticism, by discipline, um, that it, the, the, there's an unfortunate resemblance in that language to the language which suggests that goodness is something contrary to man's nature, or that even grace is something that contradicts or does violence to God's nature, it, to man's nature. It really is not. Grace elevates nature. It's not to say that it's a perfectly smooth process. You know, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be the cross, there's going to be difficulties, there's, there's, there has to be that discipline. Mm. But in all of these in all of these things, it's not a matter of doing violence to the nature. It's doing violence to what's disordered in the nature, our disordered passions and our disordered appetites, huh? 
So it, it, it might feel violent, but it, uh, but I mean, one of the ways to show that it's really not violent is to say that it's just, it's just difficult. So you can volitionally exert this quote-unquote violence against yourself by disciplining yourself, by you know, avoiding this occasion of sin and, and, and practicing some asceticism which imposes suffering on you for the, for the sake of overcoming your, your, your uh, base passions and your attachment to sins and disorders, huh? Uh, but but it, has to be, it has to be, in our age, it has to be very, very clearly understood that grace is not something contrary to nature. Grace is not something that does uh, violence against nature. Grace is not something... Uh, it, you know, it's not naturally intrinsic to the person. That's true. It comes from outside. It's infused from outside, but in a benevolent way that's meant to elevate the nature and perfect it. That's the difference. You are it's listening to the Philosophia Perennis live classroom and chat room here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers on a Wednesday evening, 15 November 2017. I'm your host and moderator, Mike Church, host of the Mike Church Show, and uh, he is Brother Andre Marie host of the Reconquest radio show, uh, which will debut episode number 102 tonight. Brother, what's on episode number 102? Um, episode 102 is called St. Robert Bellarmine's On Purgatory, and my oh. guest is our mutual friend, uh, Mr. Ryan Grant. Oh, <laughs> the, I'm just going to start calling him The Scholar. <laughs> the scholar, yeah, he's the he's the uh, he's the Saint Robert Bellarmine guy. He is, he is the scholar, brother. I don't know if we passed it. Maybe we did because uh, as a chief executive and financial and technical officer, I get distracted from time to time while I'm trying to to do things like the homine. Did you cover this quote already in the notes? That violence is directly opposed to the voluntary, as likewise to the natural. Because brother says this this uh, sentence is of tremendous importance. Yeah, that's what we've I been talking. I think I read about. it three or four times. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I was there was on the right page, and we were yeah. and, uh, okay. Got it. Yeah, I read that, and I read just past it. Violence is directly opposed to the voluntary, as likewise to the natural. Got it. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I was in the right place. Now we're gonna we're gonna come across it again. So if if it's okay with you, boss, we can go from <laughs> there to Article Five in in the Summa. What if I were to say no? <laughs> well, I guess I'd have to be obedient. No, of course we can go to Article 5. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So he's got three objections. He's got the said contra. He's got the I answer that, and he's got the replies to the objections. So we start with the first objection. Again, whether violence causes involuntariness. So objection one, it would seem that violence does not cause involuntariness. Now, as soon as you read that in the objection, you know how he's going to answer, but that violence actually does cause involuntariness. But let's not just leave it there. Let's go through his argument. Sure. It would seem that violence does not cause involuntariness, for we speak of voluntariness and involuntariness in respect of the will. But violence cannot be done to the will as shown above. So he's, he's said that violence can't be shown to the will. So since, since violence can't be shown to the will, and voluntariness and involuntariness is a matter of, of the will, then how can violence cause involuntariness? That's his argument. Mm -hmm. Therefore, violence cannot cause involuntariness. Objection two. Further, that which is done involuntarily is done with grief, as Damascene says, and the philosopher. So, so both St. John Damascene and uh, Aristotle, the philosopher. 
But sometimes a man suffers compulsion without being grieved thereby. Therefore, violence does not cause involuntariness. So, you, you know, somebody might be violently compelled to do something um, uh, that he doesn't want to do, but then he goes along with it. It doesn't, it doesn't, comp- it doesn't, he doesn't have grief as a result. So therefore, therefore violence, according to this argument, does not cause involuntariness. Okay. And objection three. Further, uh, what is from the will cannot be involuntary, but some violent actions proceed from the will. For instance, when a man with a heavy body goes upward, or when a man contorts his limbs in a way contrary to their natural flexibility. Therefore, violence does not cause involuntariness. Now, so this third argument is saying, basically, you can, you can do violence on yourself by contorting yourself or by doing something contrary to, by, by, by jumping, by leaping up, you know, your natural, your natural tendency to be taken down, going down, is something, um, by gravity, is something uh, that, that's violent, Okay, so you've exerted violence against, uh, on yourself, though, in this instance, and since that's the case, then violence does not cause involuntariness since it was voluntary. On the contrary, the philosopher, of course, this is Aristotle, and Damascene, interestingly, these are two authorities he's used in the objections, the philosopher and Damascene say that things done under compulsion are involuntary. So they're laying that down as a principle. Things done under compulsion are involuntary. St. Thomas is certainly taking it as a principle. So I answer that, which is always the sort of the expansion and the explanation of his quick respondeo, or his quick uh, said contra. Violence is directly opposed to the voluntary, as likewise to the natural. Now that's the sentence that, that, that you just read. Sure. Violence is directly opposed to the voluntary, as likewise to the natural. For the voluntary and the natural have this in common, that both are from an intrinsic principle. This is why I read all that stuff from Brother Francis first. Okay. Because So that when we come to it in St. Thomas, it'll make more sense. So it's not the first time you've heard it now. For the voluntary and the natural have this in common, that both are from an intrinsic principle, meaning inside the thing, in us. Whereas violence is from an extrinsic principle. And for this reason, just as in things devoid of knowledge, violence affects something against nature. So some, something devoid of knowledge, you know, a, a tree, an animal, a, a, a rock, you know, some, 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 some natural, uh, some um, uh, artifact. Huh? Um, Let's see. So, I'm sorry. So, so in things endowed with knowledge, it affects something against the will. Now, that which is against nature is said to be unnatural. And in like manner, that which is against the will is said to be involuntary. Therefore, violence causes involuntariness. So, he's saying that violence causes involuntariness because it gets somebody to do something contrary to its nature, or contrary to its, in, in the case of a, a knowing thing, contrary to its 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 volition, its will, its willing. Reply to objection one. Now let's go back. What's objection one? Objection one is that um, 
violence doesn't cause involuntariness because these are something done in respect, to, because we talk about voluntariness in respect to the will, and since violence can't be done to the will, as we've already shown, then violence doesn't cause involuntariness. How is he going to answer that? The involuntary is opposed to the voluntary. Now, it has been said that not only the act which proceeds immediately from the will is called voluntary, but the act commanded by the will. Consequently, <clears throat> as to the act which proceeds immediately from the will, violence cannot be done to the will, as stated above. Wherefore, violence cannot make that act involuntary. But as to the commanded act, the will can suffer violence. And consequently, in this respect, violence causes involuntariness. Okay, what did he just say? Okay. <laughs> so, so there, there, and, and this is a, a, an important thing for St. Thomas when he's talking about virtue. Um, the, the elicited acts and the commanded acts, elicited, E-L-I-C-I-T-E-D, elicited and commanded. So an elicited act of the will is something that takes place in my will according to the normal functioning of that faculty. So let's say um, in my will, I, I make an act of love of God, or I make an act of desire to achieve the good of a, um, a, 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 a well-ordered day, okay? That's something that takes place, it, it starts and stops in the will. That's an elicited act. Now, all of the acts that it might take to make my well-ordered day happen, my will will command me, my carcass, to get up at a certain time. <laughs> it will command my other faculties to, um, to exert themselves or to um, deny themselves. So my will will be commanding uh, me, my, my person, the, the various other lower parts of me all throughout the day to be doing good things rather than bad things. So the commanded act, when I, when I move my arm in such a way uh, I am, or in any way, fr frankly, that is a commanded act, huh? The, my arm isn't my will, but my will directs my arm to do something. That's the difference between an elicited act, which takes place in the faculty that it's elicited in, in this case the will, and the, the, the commanded act where the will commands my hand, let's say, to write a note, okay, <laughs> or to type out ar an article, you mm. know. I'm using my fingers, I'm using my faculties, I'm using my, my will can even command my intellect. It can even make, I can even focus my attention on this thing rather than that thing. My will can say, no, don't get distracted by that garbage on the internet. Um, you know, do, do, do the thing that, uh, that will make you meet your deadline. So you have a well-spent day, you know, prepare your lesson that you have to teach in religion at 10.05 in the morning, <laughs> okay, do that instead of, you know, wasting time on something else. The, the will is commanding, you, you understand, Mike, how the will is commanding other faculties of my person yes. to do those things? So if I uh, have the will that I'm going to uh, execute my job as well as I can from 6 to 10 a.m., and uh, in order to do so, I'm going to read all these things and print all these things and then write these notes and prepare, as you said, 
Yeah. Anything that's done that is necessary or in the course of executing that yes. is part of. So that's a those are commanded acts. That's a commanded act. And you command your memory to remember to write down the name of the author because the printer-friendly version never sticks it on. That's right. <laughs> and I should do that, and I don't. That's, that's, I share that's, your pain on that. One. That's a good. That's a good note. So, so, so the, the these these are other faculties being commanded by the will to do these things. Okay, that's that's all. I mean, it's it's you know they talk about willpower. You know, our Lord says that the 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 uh, the soul the, uh, the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the difference between commanded and elicited acts. You know, all all inside of itself, the will can say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to resolve to be much better than I am now." <laughs> but uh, it, where the rubber meets the road is where the will commands these acts to be elicited in the other faculties and throughout the day, huh? And that's why, brother, and we can. Well, we won't be doing the homine then, but we could. Uh, that's why a New Year's resolution doesn't work for most people. Because you don't have the faculties to carry it out. Well, You I can mean, talk about it all you it's want. It's a lack of discipline. I mean. well, it's a lack of discipline. It's a lack of all the things that would go into having the other faculties that, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose 100 pounds. Uh, but you haven't mortified your body in 20 years. Your body, your brain, your intellect doesn't know what a mortification is. So when you say, all right, I'm not going to eat that. Uh, yeah, but I'm kind of hungry. Well, you're really not. You weigh 400 pounds. Doesn't matter. I'm kind of hungry. Um, <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, seriously, it, it, it'd be very, I, you, you can see now, as we kind of explore this, you, you can see now real world applications in this and why some of the other things that, um, uh, that, that we've talked about and some of the other parts of uh, living the faith and why they're important. Of why those uh, those simple fasts and those ember days and those and those simple mortifications and to make them so um, if it's a good habit then brother it's not a vice so then it's a habit so yeah. uh, so if a little mortification becomes a habit that's a good thing if avoiding the mortification continues and, and there's a bad result from it then I guess it becomes a vice but yeah. Exactly, and and you know we, we we know even science tells us that you have to you have to exert some degree of uh, discipline. I almost said violence, but <laughs> I'm trying to be sensitive to that word. The way I use it, you have to you have to exercise a, a, a sort of a painful discipline over yourself for a sustained amount of time before it becomes habitual. I mean, I, what is it, 21 days to to do something before it's considered to be habitual? I, I heard this. So supposedly, this has been scientifically. Uh, uh, proven, but it, it it makes sense perfectly what we know from from psychology. Fa Father you know, that, that Father Ripperger, Father Ripperger says uh, three weeks to undo it, and then three weeks to do whatever it was you were trying to do. Six weeks total. Okay, so that so that I mean, twenty one days is what I heard about to 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 uh, to make something a habit. So. You know what he's saying. He's he's got a two-step process in there where you're countering the old habit and putting in a new one. I, I haven't thought about that. I didn't. I never heard him say that, but I'm not questioning it. it. It makes sense. Either way, it takes time and it takes effort to implant a virtue where there was vice. So uh, moving right along, then um, Saint Thomas 
um, uh, that's the difference between a commanded and an elicited act. Okay? okay. So what St. Thomas is saying that is according to the elicited act, in other words, the thing that happens in the will itself, violence can't be done to the will, and it does it can't it can't be made involuntary. And that can't be made. You can't you can't involuntarily will. Okay, that's that's what that's saying. The elicited act is the actual willing of something. I will to walk south, and somebody says, no, no, you're going to walk north, and bodily pushes me and forces me to move north. My will hasn't changed. I'm still willing to move south. So the will, my will hasn't been altered. My body has been altered. So the commanded acts that were necessary in order to fulfill the the elicited act in my will, which is you know, to move my legs in this fashion or going this direction, huh? That's been frustrated. So this is why St. Thomas is saying that according to the, uh, according to the elicited acts, violence cannot be done to the will. According to uh, the commanded acts, it can be done. That's all he's saying. You know, you can force somebody's body contrary to his will, but you can't force his will. You cannot force his will. Even in the case of an exorcism, or rather, not an exorcism, a possession, the, the, the will as a faculty is being, is being ignored, and, and all these involuntary movements that the demons do to the body, is not, they're not moving your will to do this, they're doing it. They've possessed you. They've, they've replaced your will as the principle of, of your um, uh, commanded acts, if we can use the same language here. So hopefully that's clear. Um, so uh, let me start again from the, that reply to objection two. As, uh, um, as, it has, as, it na- as that is said to be natural, which is according to the inclination of nature, so that is said to be voluntary, which is according to the inclination of the will. Now, a thing is said to be natural in two ways. First, because it is from nature, as from an active principle. Wait a minute, did I, um, I'm sorry, this, we're, we're on reply to objection one. So, now it has been said uh, that not only the act, which proceeds immediately from the will, it's called voluntary, but also the act commanded by the will. So, my moving my legs, my moving my arms, my doing something, you know, reading that article or whatever. Um, consequently, as to the act which proceeds immediately from the will, violence cannot be done to the will, as stated above, wherefore violence cannot make the act involuntary. But as to the commanded act, the will can suffer violence, and consequently, in this respect, violence causes involuntariness. So if if, if Mike... You know, if you determine that you're going to print out that article and read it and all that, and that that's the elicited act of the will, but something frustrates you from outside. Somebody comes in and when you print it up, takes it and rips it apart and says, no, you can't read that and, you know, shackles you to your chair <laughs> and says, haha, you're going to have to do your show without any preparation. Then violence has been done to the will and that's involuntary. Sounds good to me. Okay. Reply I might even use it as an two. excuse one day. What's that? I might even use it as an excuse one day. <laughs> Pay somebody to act, yeah, wish... but that would be voluntary. Um, <laughs> for, further, that that which isn't done involuntarily is done with grief. So this is the argument about grief. So, objection two, as, as that is said to be natural, which is according to the inclination of nature, so that is said to be voluntary, which is according to the inclination of the will. Now, a thing is said to be natural in two ways. First... Because from nature, because it is from nature, as from an active principle, thus 
it is natural for fire to produce heat. Secondly, according to a passive principle, because to wit, there is in the nature an inclination to receive an action from an extrinsic principle. Thus, the movement of the heavens is said to be natural by reason of the natural aptitude in a heavenly body to receive such movement, although the cause of that movement is a voluntary agent. Now, you have to know here that St. Thomas is thinking that angels are moving all the heavenly bodies. Ah. Okay. Um, in like manner, an act is said to be voluntary in two ways. First, in regard to action, for instance, when one wishes to be passive to another. Hence, when action is brought to bear on something by an extrinsic agent, as long as the will to suffer that action remains in the passive subject, there is not violence simply. For although the patient does not does nothing by way of action, he does something by being willing to suffer. Consequently, this cannot be called involuntary. So, you, in other words, the will can go along with something that, uh, that it passively undergoes. That's what he calls the person who's undergoing this a patient, because the patsuya that comes from un, the, 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 the um, concept in Latin of undergoing, huh? being passive. So just because uh, it causes us, the will might decide to go along with it, even though this agent is is forcing it from the outside, um, and it it, uh, it may it may or may not cause it cause it grief. So it might not cause it grief, but still it's being acted upon from an agent from outside, even though it seems to be violence. It's not necessarily involuntary. Okay, so that's one of those things you just kind of kind of read that one over again till you get it. Reply to objection three, and I'm going too fast now, I realize. Further, what is from the will cannot be involuntary. This is objection three. But some violent actions proceed from the will. So in other words, when we do stuff to contort our bodies and do stuff by the command of our will that seem to be unnatural, Mm. um, that's an argument. So therefore, he says, violence does not cause involuntariness. Reply to objection three, as the philosopher says, the movement of an animal, whereby at times an animal is moved against the natural inclination of the body, although it is not natural to the body, is nevertheless somewhat natural to the animal, to which, uh, by, to which it is natural to be moved according to its appetite. So, in other words, um, something, some, some appetite of the body that, that it wants to gratify is moving it, seeming to do violence against it. Um, but it's but it's going along with it. It's it's exceeding to it. It's ex- exerting some violence to itself, contrary to say the power of this limb or the the, the natural bent of of this particular faculty of the animal. Yet, in order to gratify the 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 thing that the animal will, for instance. An animal might do something contrary to its nature by jumping from a great height that would normally be dangerous to it in order to get the thing that it, that it wills to get, okay? So that seems to be an act of violence uh, that's willed by the thing itself, yet it's willing it for ultimately its own fulfillment of the willed object. I know this sounds really complicated and I can't make it simpler. Accordingly, this is violent, not simply, but in a certain respect. This is that distinction between um, simpliciter and secundum quid. It's not simply violent, in other words, totally contrary to the nature of the thing, but in a certain respect, it's contrary to its nature, ultimately in order to fulfill the true desire of its nature. So, for this is violent in a certain respect, that is, 
uh, as to this particular limb, but not simply as to the man himself. So if you contort yourself in such a way, here's a good example. Uh, you're a contortionist. You're, you're, you're trying to escape from a trap or, or you know, you're being bound. Okay. You're Houdini and you're all chained up. So you're doing things that, that, that you're commanding your limbs to do something contrary to their normal nature. I mean, if you were to keep that stuff up all the time, you would, you would be crippled. But you're doing it according to your will in order to achieve the, the greater good of, getting, of escaping from this trap, huh? So it's violent in a certain respect— in other words, secundum quid, but it's not simply violent against the man, like say suicide would be, huh? Mm. Which is which is completely violent against the against one's own nature. One minute, brother. So, well, that's it. We're done. Well, there's a question in here. I think it's a good with JPK. Can torture break the will to the degree that what was divulged under torture uh, would never have been done ordinarily uh, becomes an involuntary act? Well, I mean, the will can do. The will can be. The person can be weakened and do something wrong, um, and, and but 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 unless he's driven insane, he can't do something contrary to his will, his own will. Unless he's been, unless that kind of violence has been done, like like the the drugging of uh, of, uh, of of Cardinal Mansanti. Okay, brother, we'll have to, have to leave it there. It's the Philosophy of Parentage Live Classroom and Chat Room signing off. Stay tuned for Reconquest. <laughs>